Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke, presented by Bet Rivers. Disappointing, embarrassing, ashamed, and concerned. Those are the adjectives I would use to describe how I'm feeling post Bulls loss to the Sacramento Kings. Welcome into the Chicago City Cast presented by Bet Rivers. I'm your host, Danny Burke. And yeah, you bet we'll be recapping that effort or lack thereof against the Kings that we saw from the Bulls last night. We also got plenty of college basketball thoughts as we are getting right into the thick of it for March Madness. So excited to talk about some of those games. And we've got a Blackhawks game tonight taking on the Boston Bruins at home looking to avenge your last loss on the road against Boston. So plenty to get to. We'll talk a little bit of Bears too, but mostly focus on some of these other things until big and impactful news comes about for the Bears. But I got to begin with this Bulls game. I just got to rant on it this one time and then I can let it go and, and then we'll move on. First things first, we lose our Sabonis bet. That was a pain in the ass. My goodness. First of all, he didn't do squat in the first quarter. Then he comes alive in the second quarter and then he completely disappears in the second half. And everything together, he still almost got it. Had 22 points, 7 rebounds. And four assists. He missed it by one bucket. We had over 34 and a half. He ended up with 33 altogether. Six of 15 from the floor. And about three of those attempts were easy layups that he missed. Or they went in and out. So yes, I'm salty that we did not get over Sabonis. But you know what? It is what it is. I've gotten the benefit of the doubt from some of these bets where I've just won him by a point or something like that. So that's just kind of the ebbs and flows of the NBA and betting the NBA. And just betting in general. But what makes it worse, of course, is the fact that the Bulls could not pull this win together. They started off incredibly slow. I mean, their shooting performance in this first half was astonishing with how abysmal it was. You just, you don't see that out of this Bulls team. They ended up shooting 41%, but guess what? Sacramento shot over 47.5%. They shot 40% from deep. You shot less than 30%. What you did exceptionally well was get to the free throw line. You hit 21 out of 22 free throws. However, falling was a problem once again because the Kings outshot you from the charity stripe 24 to 26. Now, granted, the refs were pretty bad in that game. They did let them play a little bit, but Sabonis was traveling left and right. And while, yes, I was rooting for him for that prop, from a Bulls fan perspective, that was... An egregious miss left and right continuously on Sabonis. Vooch got screwed on a couple plays. And you know what? Vooch actually had a pretty damn good game. Vooch showed out when he needed to. Defensively, eh, maybe not so much, but he had a nice charge. He had some good blocks. And overall, yes, he did get shafted on some of those calls. Bulls got out-rebounded in this game, 45-40. to Turnovers, eh, 15-16 each team, but... Yeah, fast break points, they beat you in transition. That's what stunk too. They had 15, you had 10. 
The Bulls are supposed to have the number one transition offense in the league. I was watching that, and in the second half, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I really haven't seen too much transition opportunities for this Bulls team. And it was very uncharacteristic to see Alex Caruso turn the ball over in transition and just sloppy, lazy passes. And look, Caruso's not a lazy guy. He had some great moments, like when he hustled on that fast break and stole the ball and then got to the free throw line. But, you know, he had four turnovers, uncharacteristic, only six points. You need more from Caruso. When two of seven from the floor, one of four from deep. That was the main reason whether or not Levine was going to play. I still like the Bulls in this game. Because the Caruso factor, well, the Caruso factor showed up a little bit, but nowhere near as much as he needed him to coming off the bench. The bench points, obviously, from the Bulls' perspective, uh, trying to find where this is. I can't find it right now, but I know that it wasn't where it needed to be from this Bulls squad. Again, you just need... And you know what was also kind of tough to see from the start I mean we talked about DeMar DeRozan right he dropped 38 against the Kings the last time and his prop was anywhere from 29 to 30 depending on the availability of Levine naturally but he was just non-existent in the first I mean he got 10 points or so he ended up with 21 but she needed more out of DeRozan early on Again, Vooch gave you 23 points, 10 of 22 from the floor, 3 of 7 from deep. You'll take that from Vooch all day. Levine, 27 points, 9 and 9 from the charity stride, 2 of 7 from deep. You want a little bit more there, but overall, good effort from Levine. And DeRozan did some solid things. I mean, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 21 points, 7 of 17 from the floor. But again, you need more from DeRozan. That's plain and simple. Kobe White. 3-9 3-9 from deep, 13 points. If he could have hit that big three to, I think it was to take the lead, we'd maybe be having a different conversation. He did hit a couple big threes, but you just needed that one more, man. In transition, couldn't get it to go. Well, yeah, so I guess looking down at it, honestly, the Kings didn't have that much. I mean, they had 26 bench points, but it was, it was from Matu and Mitchell who got 26 between the two of them. The Bulls, they got, what, 21? Tristan Thompson, no points. Eric Jones Jr. only had two. Kobe White had 13. Caruso had six. I'm going to say something that I know a lot of people aren't going to be happy with, but it's the truth. Io DeSumo needs to limit his three-point shot attempts, or he needs to get in the gym and start practicing. 0-5 last night, and you know what? He's really had a problem this second stretch of the season from beyond the arc. Yes, we've seen him hit big threes at the end of games and transition, but he just hasn't done it as of late, it seems. He went three of four versus Cleveland. Okay, I'll give him that. I'm, at home, he's doing a lot better. But, I mean, in the month of March, he's hit less than a three a game on about over two and a half attempts. He's made four on 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So four of 15. I mean, 26.7%. Not great up from Io. 0 of 5. You can't have those continuous misses from Io DeSumo. Yes, he can play solid defense. Yes, he actually has a very good mid-range game. It can hit um, from short mid-range. But he did not have a great game last night, per se. Defensively, I mean, De'Aaron Fox was taking him to town. 34 points. 
You needed Caruso or Levine locked up on him once you clearly saw it wasn't working. DiVincenzo hit every three when it mattered. I mean, three of five. And I knew once they were down like six or four, whatever it was, and they were coming down, I was like, DiVincenzo's going to hit a three here. And lo and behold, he had a wide open shot, knocked it down. The point is, the Bulls didn't pick up defenders in transition. That's how they got beat. We've talked about their bad transition defense. The Kings made their big shots when they needed to, and they took advantage of the open shots they had in the first half. I applaud the Bulls from for battling back, right? That was a big effort. You kind of assumed it was going to happen, but when you had it there, you just needed to bring it closer and get that one more stop. But you shouldn't have to battle back against the Kings. That's the thing. This team is awful defensively. It's an inexperienced group playing among each other, a youthful group, and one that has really nothing to play for at this point. And you are enduring a tough stretch of your road schedule with Phoenix and Utah coming forward, and you can't take advantage against the Kings. Now you're going to lose your next two games, and you're going to be in a slump once again. That's why this loss holds a lot of weight. Yes, we can have the concerns about the Bulls' inability to capitalize against top teams, but what about against the Kings? I get the Bulls aren't that great on the road, but you can't have that if you want to be a legit threat in the postseason. 16 and 17 on the road now. But you're expected to beat teams like the Kings whether or not it's home or away. So that was bad all around from the Bulls. And I get you can criticize Billy Donovan and people are quick to give him crap. And I get it. Trust me, I've been critical of him too. But he can't control when these guys are missing wide open shots in the first half. There were good looks. The Bulls couldn't get anything to go. Conversely, the Kings couldn't miss. It was one of those nights, but a night you couldn't have afforded you couldn't afford to have at this point in the season. Sixers had lost. You had a good opportunity to move forward in the standings. Couldn't do it. Couldn't take advantage. That loss hurt. That really hurt. With Caruso back, you had Levine play when he was 50-50, and you lose to one of the worst teams in the league. I don't know what else to say about it except embarrassing, disappointing, gotta have it. Plain and simple, there's no excuse for that effort. You had a great win against Cleveland, a day off. Let's go. I get it's a West Coast road trip. You guys travel in fashion. It's not an excuse. I get the UC is a fantastic place to play in front of, and it gives you a lot of spark and motivation, momentum, whatever you want to call it. But it's not like Sacramento has this deafening home court advantage themselves. There are plenty of Bulls fans there. They travel well. Whatever it is, the Bulls cannot play on the road. And it's going to crush them in the postseason, guys. That's why they need the home court advantage throughout the playoffs in the first round. And if they don't, I don't know if they're getting out of the first round. There are legit concerns because of this game that stretch farther than the concerns I had when they would lose to top teams. Again, that's sort of expected, right? But you're not supposed to lose to the Kings. You saw the lead get to like 10. You're like, all right, you know, the Bulls will figure it out. Then like 13, 15, then 20 at half. You're like, my God, is it even worth watching this? And I threw a little bit of coin on a live bet, but didn't come through. I got like plus six and a half at one point. At halftime, they're like six to one to win it. I think plus 11 and a half. And obviously the plus six and a half didn't hit. 
and this Bulls team found a way not to even really make it as close as it should have been. And they lose by 11. So, yeah, you, I was, or no, they lost by 9, excuse me. So, if you got the 11 and a half at half, you cash that. But that stinks. I And the only way they can make up for that is if they get a win against Phoenix and or Utah. That's the absolute truth. Otherwise, this one is going to continue to sting. If you can get a win where you weren't expected to get a win, that can be the trade-off for your loss where you weren't expected to lose. You need to get one against Utah or Phoenix. For yourselves, they they get into this hole and then they just lose everything. That's why when you saw who was it against the Pistons with Tristan Thompson screaming? I mean, do we need him to do this every single time? I feel like we see this in Chicago sports so often, where the team in itself needs some other guy to come in and spark them up. You should have that within yourself. That's what makes a great, successful team. And right now, the Bulls don't have that. Yes, you still need Patrick Williams and Lonzo Ball, but you shouldn't need them against the Sacramento Kings. You should never be down by 20 or more points with the offense you have in the crap defense Sacramento hats. That should never have happened. Off nights happen. Off quarters happen. Off halves, yeah, they can happen, but you can't have that happen against a team like Sacramento where you're getting so many open looks and good opportunities. You didn't do what you do viably, which is get out and transition. Knock down your threes. None of that happened, and that's why you lost. This one stings, and it's going to continue to sting unless the Bulls can win one of their two next games. But it's a tough spot right now for Chicago after you finally garnered some momentum once again. Beating Detroit, which was an ugly win on the road. Ugly. Was never comfortable. And then you beat Cleveland. Oh, it was at home. And yeah, you know what? It was pretty comfortable. But Cleveland's banged up. Again, a, a game you're expected to win. And you had Caruso back. No excuse to lose that game against the Kings. That was bad all around. We need to see some fire out of this team. Caruso and Tristan Thompson are the only ones bringing it. Show some emotion. Show some heart out there. That's embarrassing to lose to the Kings. And maybe we just hold this team to too high of a standard, but the fact that they did so well to begin and with the adversity they dealt with, they deserve to be held to a high standard. They want to be, and they should be held to it. Now, a lot of that, of course, was them taking advantage of opportunities against equal or inferior teams at home or on the road. But it's getting to the important stretch of the season, and you're kind of seeing the true colors of Chicago right now. A completely untrustworthy team at home and an untrustworthy team against stiff competition. That's the state of the Bulls right now. They got the Jazz to look forward to next. On Wednesday, we'll handicap it then. But until then, got to take a brief hiatus. And focus on the other Chicago sports action tonight, which is going to be the Chicago Blackhawks. Let's get into this Blackhawks game and maybe they can give a little positivity to Chicago and their athletics around the city. However, it's not a great spot, right? I mean, they got the Bruins coming to town and Boston beat them the other week. We went 3-0 that night in hockey and took the Bruins. So, hey, finally, a game that I bet within the Blackhawks schedule or involving the Blackhawks more so. And it actually came through. So, how about it? We're breaking curses, baby. Uh, Boston opened minus 185 as the favorite on the road against Chicago. Blackhawks opened plus 150 at Bet Rivers. 
Currently, right now at Bet Rivers, you see Boston obviously still is a significant favorite, but at one minus or uh, minus one seventy-seven, excuse me. Blackhawks still at about plus one fifty. Total at six, eh, juice a little bit on the under minus one twelve. So the reason that I'm not all in love with the Bruins again here, again them playing on the road, but because they don't have Swayman in net. So they got Yulmark in net, and he was originally their starter, but Swayman's been a lot better, and that's why we took them against the Blackhawks. Also, Lankinen was in net, but we did that before Lankinen was in net, still liked it. Yulmark this season, he's not bad, but he's just nowhere near as good as Swayman, but Yulmark is 17-9-2, 2.81 goals against average, Save percentage of 90.7%. On the road, he's sporting a record of 8-6-1, 2.71 goals against average, and almost 92% with his saves. He's actually better on the road than he is at home. And it's odd because, well, you get Marc-Andre Fleury, who's better on the road than he is at home. At home, he's 8-12-3, 3.15 goals against average. Save percentage of 90%, two shutouts at the UC. Overall, Flurry 19-20-4, goals against average, 90.8% with his saves, and he does have four shutouts. Who do you trust in this game? Do you think the Blackhawks can actually put it together? I don't know if I'd say that, but if you're looking for a little bit of the puck line angle, if it wasn't such a steep price, like the Blackhawks plus one and a half seems like it could be a decent bet, but I don't want to lay minus 165 to do, uh, to do so. I feel like Boston finds a way to win. Don't want to lay minus 177 with Yulmark. So again, I think the top play would probably be taking the puck and a half with Chicago, but I'm not recommending it per se because again, it's a steep price of minus 165. There's better opportunities to bet this hockey slate tonight, and I don't think this game is one of them. Boston's averaging over three goals per game, allowing less than 2.7. Chicago's allowing over 3.4 and themselves are only forcing 2.6 chicago is coming off a win at ottawa six to three bruins have won their last four out of five again i have some reservations about you'll mark in this spot if it was swayman you could convince me to say yeah the bruins will win this game they are pretty solid on the road actually 18 8 and 3 blackhawks 11 15 and 4 at home Maybe wait for an end game. Maybe if it's a tie game or the Blackhawks get out to an early lead, then you could attack this Bruins side. We saw it happen against the Lightning, right? They were at home, Blackhawks were up, and it took like 30 seconds, and then the Lightning are up three goals. That's the state of the Blackhawks right now, and you can absolutely take advantage of it from a betting perspective. But the Blackhawks haven't played better their last three games. I mean, they won 8-3 to versus Anaheim, kept it close at Boston, and then beat an Ottawa team you're supposed to beat 6-3. to So that's why I think they could keep this close, and it could be like a one-goal game. Maybe if you want to take a little bit of a flyer, not saying that I, that I love this per se, but Nick Alberga, who does fantastic work betting and talking about hockey, says at this time of the season he likes to give out the tie meaning will the game go to overtime plus 350 if you think it does between the Blackhawks and the Bruins but if you like the Bruins to win a regulation at Bet Rivers it's minus 109 if you think the Blackhawks win in regulation plus 235 but yeah maybe the tie at plus 350 could take a little bit of a long shot 
Again, I'm not going to play these myself personally. I'm just trying to give different angles. I'm not in love with this game. Of course, we got to talk about it, but I do like another game in hockey. If you want to get my analysis on that, check out Rush Hour tonight on VEASAN, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. Nick Alberga will, oddly enough, be on the show as we just talked about him. And, again, I got one play with the puck, so we'll discuss that. Uh, before we get on to college basketball, also on Russia, I got plenty of college basketball games that I have bet. I'll talk about a couple of them here, but save the rest for Rush Hour. But tune in so you get some of those bets as well. Um, but before we get to college basketball with the latter part of this episode, I do want to talk about the Bears a little bit. So the Bears really haven't done anything crazy with their free agency, right? I mean, they go defensive here, and some people are kind of questioning that, going, huh, that's an interesting move, but I guess it is what it is, right? Ogan Joby coming over to the uh, to the Bears, yeah, he'll disrupt a lot of things, and he'll help out defensively. That's fine, and again, I'm going to choose to trust the process in which Poles is setting up. And then the clip comes out about what his strategy is. And I heard some people, or I saw some people rather on Twitter talking about it, and they're like, hey, well, at least Poles is being transparent. You really never got that with this Bears organization or Ryan Pace, per se, which is true and good. Poles saying he prefers to wait till kind of the second to third wave of free agency, so you're kind of getting some of these guys trickling down. You don't have to pay as much for these guys. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he was getting to. And honestly, based on what we saw with some of these players and some of these receivers, I don't blame him. I mean, look at Christian Kirk. Guys, Christian Kirk getting, what, $21 million per year to go to the Jags is a wide receiver that had only four games of 100 receiving yards and four years as a starter. Who the hell is this guy's agent? Because sign me the heck up with him. I mean, come on. Talk about outkicking your coverage. Good for you, Christian Kirkwood Jacksonville. What are you doing? Uh, Warren Sharp tweeted this out. The last two free agency periods, Jack spent $117.5 million on their starting receiving core, which consists of Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, Evan Ingram. All pretty average receivers. Evan Ingram, he has good flashes, but he can't stay healthy. Zay Jones... Do something consistently. Marvin Jones, I average. Christian Kirk, yeah, maybe has potential, but again, I mean, he could thrive maybe with the Jags and not as much with the Cardinals who are receiver deep, but okay, if you want to pay that much, fine. I am content with the Bears saying I'm okay. Even if the Bears got Christian Kirk and it was a reasonable amount of money, that's nothing that's making me jump out of my seat. Juju Smith-Schuster I would rather have. I'm trying to, I don't know if I'd rather have really any other receiver. I mean, MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he's a solid guy. I prefer Christian Kirk over him for sure. But again, I think the Bears are making the right decision, kind of holding off a little bit here. So they go with Ogan Joby as at this point. People are kind of appalled that they go defensive, but I'm going to trust Ryan Poles. I'm going to trust this team and assume they are on the right path and knowing who they want to get and how the best way to get them is. And that's what I think Poles is going to approach. And that's fine. Again, we're not expecting them to get 
flashy receivers right now. We've talked about the, Juju's the flashiest name out there. And even he, I mean, like, we you know him because he does his TikTok dances. He's a fun guy. And he's solid. Don't get me wrong. I think he'd be great. But again, you you don't need your number one flashy receiver per se. What I'm saying is you already got Darnell Moody. I'm not saying he's a top receiver and should be number one on the team. But you can get a 1A, 1B type of deal going with Darnell Mooney and another top guy, whether it's MBS, whether it's Juju Smith-Schuster. And then you get your speedy guys like a Byron Pringle, like a Demarcus Robinson. Stack it up in that sense. You can spread deep that way. You're not going to find a Cooper Cup right now. You're not going to find a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson, a, a Julio Jones, an A.J. Brown. You're not going to get these top guys. So you build up with very above-average guys, guys who could be 1A, 1B, complementary to Darnell Mooney, and then a speedy guy, and then you could draft someone too. That's fine with me. You build the offensive line also. You got solid running backs in the room right now. Herbert, Montgomery, looking decent. Tight ends, well, you need Cole Komet to come about, but I got faith in him still. So what I want to see next is at least the Bears to get, I mean, they got to get one receiver here in this free agency, and they will. They'll get someone. Then maybe they'll get offensive line too. But then they'll attack that in the draft. So I'm not freaking out here, okay? And everybody's kind of panicking, it seems. Not everybody, but some people are panicking a little bit that the Bears haven't made a move yet. We'll get there. Just trust the process a little bit. They're making the smart financial decision. That's what Ryan Poles is openly saying. Again, Christian Kirk, guys, for that amount of money, that is way too much for a guy who really hasn't proven anything. If Cooper Cup got that deal, yeah, you give Cooper Cup a blank check. But no, not not Christian Kirk. So I'm, I'm comfortable with how the Bears are approaching this, and you should be too. But hopefully we do get some news sooner rather than later so we can discuss it here on the CityCast and other outlets. But if anything comes about tomorrow, we'll probably talk about it. Um, I'm kind of debating whether or not I'll do a show tomorrow or Thursday and Friday. Probably tomorrow so I can get you all of my plays and, and final thoughts for March Madness. But speaking of which, coming back here on the Chicago City Cats, let me talk a little bit of college hoops. Let's go into that Notre Dame and Rutgers game and once again revisit the Hoosiers taking on the Cowboys of Wyoming. Coming up next here, it is the Chicago City Cats presented by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Not valid for any participant of the Illinois Gaming Board statewide voluntary self-exclusion program. Must be 21 years of age or older. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. 1-800-426-2537. All right, let's get into it furthermore with some college basketball here on the Chicago CityCast presented by Bet Rivers. I want to talk about this Rutgers-Notre Dame game. I know Indiana's playing tonight. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, so I wanted to start with something fresh, and then we'll get to the Hoosiers game. But Notre Dame taking on the Scarlet Knights of Rutgers. This game looked to open up about Rutgers minus one and a half, but now it's flipped. Notre Dame 
a one-point favorite. Total at about 132 for this matchup. Who do you trust, the Fighting Irish or are you going all Big Ten? Moneyline at Bet Rivers has Notre Dame minus 113, Rutgers minus 106. Juice is on the over 132, minus 113. Looking into some of these stats, Rutgers has three guys averaging in double digits. Ron Harper Jr. has been there for almost as long as Bohannon on Iowa, but I do like Ron Harper Jr. He's our leading scorer with over 15.5 points per game. Geo Baker, I feel like, has been there forever too, 12.4 points per game. This is a team shooting 44.3% from the floor, 33.6% from deep, 70% at the free throw line. Really not in love with any of those numbers. 11.5 turnovers per game, rebounding 35.5 times per contest. Looking at that compared to Notre Dame, Notre Dame has four players averaging in double digits. Paul Atkinson Jr. leading the way with 16 per contest. This Notre Dame team rebounds the ball a little bit less, actually, 34 times per game. They turn the ball over less, so I like that a lot. 11.5 for Rutgers, Notre Dame 10.3. Field goal percentage, Notre Dame at 46% compared to Rutgers 44%. Notre Dame from deep 38%. Again, Rutgers 33.6, big discrepancy, and then even a bigger one. The Fighting Irish making 76% of their free throws. Scarlet Knights connecting on just 70%. Those are the most important factors to me. I talked about that, but limiting turnovers, free throw shooting percentage, and then it probably goes rebounding slash three-point percentage. I mean, yeah, obviously what you shoot from the floor is important, but at the end of the day, the team that is hitting their three-point shots ends up having a lot of success. And if you're getting all these boards, second chances, and limiting your opponent's second chances and giving them easy points off turnovers, obviously this is the case for every game, but especially with these young kids come around March Madness time. I'd get the slight advantage to Notre Dame. At first, I would have said Rutgers, but Notre Dame's been a little bit more consistent this season. You've seen the line move go their way. Now they're a point favorite, even as high as minus one and a half. So I'd probably gravitate toward the Fighting Irish here. Again, we got till Wednesday for this game, so we'll see where the late line movement goes. But if I had to place a bet right now, I think I'd go Notre Dame money line. And I might just do that. But I'll probably wait till tomorrow to actually get involved. But I think Notre Dame is the right side ever so slightly, as indicated by the odds. But I do gravitate toward Notre Dame. All right, let's revisit that Indiana matchup tonight as they take on Wyoming. Indiana in a spot where they shouldn't be. Let's be honest. Michigan, uh, they got lucky. Indiana got shafted. Indiana's coming in with a chip on their shoulder. They'll be pissed. They're coming in hot. Even though they lost first Iowa, they still beat Michigan. They beat Illinois. They lost to Iowa on a buzzer beater. And now you're getting a Wyoming squad that, yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. They average 73 points per game, 46% from the floor, 34% from deep, 73% from the charity stripe, 36 rebounds per game, 11 turnovers per game. They actually are pretty much identical with Indiana, so I don't even need to replicate it. It's just Indiana averages one more turnover and a couple less points. Defensively, they're virtually the same. But to me, this game comes down to competition talent level indiana obviously a tougher more of a top tier program in basketball and athletics in general than wyoming so you're gonna presumably have better playmakers and indiana because of that extra incentive because of the momentum that they had coming into this spot 
I do think they're the rightful favorite. Wyoming coming off a loss to Boise State. I think Boise State gets eliminated in the first round. That's a conversation for a different game. Indiana should win this game. They're up to a four-point favorite still, but the money line's getting even more and more chalked. Now minus 186. Wyoming plus 155. We talked about the money line. I said if you could get minus a buck 75, I'd probably lay that with the Hoosiers. At this point, you know what I'm going to say more than likely. In-game bet it. Okay, wait to see if Wyoming gets out to a hot start. If Indiana struggles, if it's a back-and-forth effort, it's indicated that it's probably going to be based off the spread, and I think we'll probably get a better number with Indiana. That, that'll be the way I attack it. If not, hey, maybe the line comes down before tip-off. Or maybe you're comfortable laying the spread or money line with Indiana. Because, yes, I would lean toward both of those sides against Wyoming. I think Indiana wins this game, and maybe they could win the next one. But I do like their chances for sure tonight against Wyoming. I want to give you another game really quick. Um, I'll talk about this tomorrow, but just in case I don't do the show tomorrow. I I think I will again, but we talked about that Michigan-Colorado State game. I did make a bet on Colorado State, by the way. Took the two in the hook. If you want the analysis on it, check out Rush Hour or the CityCast from yesterday. But I want to talk about a game I definitely didn't have any aspirations to get involved with, but inevitably I looked at it and I was like, hey, I kind of like this side. Bryant and Wright State. Who exactly? Doesn't matter. Wright State uh, opened up as a two-point favorite. Now they're up to three in the hook at Bet Rivers. The best price for their money line is about minus 160. I laid that with Wright State. Now, Greg Hoops Peterson, I call him the college basketball guru. The man literally handicaps and sets his lines for every single game. I'm talking NIT. I'm talking March Madness. I'm talking every game during the regular season. At GUnit underscore 81. Follow him if you haven't already. Does great work with VEASAN. But he has Wright State as a five and a half point favorite. I always like to consider what Greg has his numbers at because he's very successful in handicapping on a consistent basis. Wright State has three top scores. He got Tanner Holden putting up 20 per game. I, I Grant Basil, Grant Basile, maybe is his name. I'm mispronounced. I mean, forgive me for not knowing the guy's name on Wright State, but he averages 18 and a half points per game. Then he gets Trey Calvin, 14.3. Wright State shoots over 46% from the floor, 77% from the charity stripe, 33% from deep, 12 turnovers per game. How does that stack up against Bryant? Okay, well, Wright State, 46.5% from the floor. Bryant is 43.7%. Free throw, 77% for Wright State, 73% for Bryant. Three-point, 33% for Wright State, 30 0.8% for Bryant, and Bryant also turns the ball over 14 times per game. Like we said with Wright State, they're at 12. Now, Wright State kind of has a little bit of chip-on-their-shoulder mentality coming into this game. They won their last five games. They got the Horizon League title by beating the top seed Cleveland State and then Northern Kentucky in the championship. They were kind of shocked to land in the first four, but they'll have home court advantage a little bit playing in Dayton, Ohio for this game. So, hey, if you want to add that into your handicap, so be it. But the line movement has gone their way. So, yeah, they're in Fairborn, Ohio. That I just had to look it up. But, yeah, they 
could have a little bit of home court advantage there, folks. A little bit of chip on their shoulder. Better talent in my mind. Now, Brian has two top scores. Peter Kitts putting up 25 per game and Charles Pride at 18 per game. Aside from that, they don't spread it out as much. So I think Wright State's a little bit deeper, a better shooting team, more disciplined team, and takes advantage in the right spots, being limiting turnovers, getting to the free throw line, and making your free throw shots. The line movement, again, minus two up to minus three and a half. You know me, lay more instead of the spread, especially this time of the year. So I'm going to be going with Wright State, minus buck 60 on the money line. Again, they're minus 177 at Bet Rivers, so look around a little bit or see if you can get a better number. And if you if you want to just go here, then at that point, I'd probably lay the minus three and a half instead. But that's a game that, of course, I had no plans to get involved with. But that's the beautiful thing about March Madness, baby. Betting opportunities you didn't think you'd ever consider. All right. Again, like I said, if you want more college hoops and not only my bets, but I will be talking about all of them tonight, but some of our guests, check out my show Rush Hour tonight, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. I got a hockey play as well, but we'll be talking plenty of college basketball and more tomorrow, assuming that I'm doing a city cast. I more than likely will, and I'll kind of go over my bracket and some of those other games as well and anything that I may alter or add to the mix. So again, not only check out Rush Hour, follow me on Twitter at DannyBurg5. You get all the links to my shows. Always appreciate if you like and subscribe to the city cast so you get notified right away. And it's always appreciated just on my behalf. But thank you, folks, for tuning in. Get ready. It's about to get exciting. March Madness is here, baby. We need the Bulls to figure it out so we can be content fully. <laughs> but uh, the, the the tournament games will distract us for the time being once these tough two games for the Bulls come about. And they probably inevitably lose. But we can only hope for at least one dub. All right. Blackhawks game tonight, folks. Root them in. Root in Indiana and root for a successful March Madness tournament. All right, we'll catch up again tomorrow for another edition of the Chicago CityCast presented by Bad Rivers. Take care, folks.